This is the Sexual Alchemy Podcast for men who want to discover and embrace profound confidence, intimacy, pleasure, and connection. I'm Rebecca Lowry, and I invite you to explore who you really are as a confident, sexual, and sensual man. Whether you're dealing with specific sexual issues or you just know there's more to it than you've experienced so far, this is a safe space for you to learn, grow, and expand your erotic potential and possibilities. Hello, welcome to the Sexual Alchemy Podcast. In today's episode, I had the absolute delight and pleasure of chatting with Marsha Bazinski, aka Marsha B. I have known about Marsha and her work for years and years and years. She is a sex educator, coach, writer, and presenter in America, but I've never had the chance to meet her. And as you'll see when you listen to our chat, before we hit the record button, she and I had been talking a lot about what's going on in the world right now, what's going on in America. She's in California, Roe versus Wade being overturned. Some of the stuff that we see going on that we know impacts how we live and love and explore pleasure and why it's important. We'd gotten kind of deep down a rabbit hole. And then I said, you know what, let's hit record now and record some of that. So our conversation starts off right in the middle of all of that. And then we go back and I finally ask Marsha to introduce herself. And we just had what was one of my favorite conversations I've had on the podcast. Let me just read you a little bit of her official bio. Marsha is an internationally recognized coach, writer, and presenter on sexual communication, boundaries, consent, and desire. Her primary mission is to help adults who want more connection and intimacy to overcome shame and get in touch with what they truly want, romantically, sexually, and relationally, even if it's off the beaten path. She's got a book that just came out in January called Creating Consent Culture, a handbook for educators. She said it's aimed at creating consent culture in schools, but we spoke about it and I think you'll find that it's going to be helpful for anyone who wants to explore consent and boundaries in their life. I'm certainly going to be ordering a copy. You can find all information about how to get in touch with Marsha in the show notes, or you can get in touch with me. I hope you enjoy our conversation. It's pretty uh, wide and varied and deep and fabulous. So here's Marsha. Here's my conversation with Marsha. Marsha, welcome. Welcome to the Sexual Alchemy podcast. Hi. Hello. So I want to invite you to tell us a bit about yourself. But before I do, I just want to tell everyone who's listening that we were just talking before we hit record about your work and your book that we'll get to and about how we were actually talking about the state of the world. So you're in America. I'm in the UK. Mm -hmm. I'm from America. The state of the world is heartbreaking and devastating. And you were saying, and I'll, I will let you speak. <laughs> you were saying that, you know, that you had studied, what was it that you studied? Um, so politics, I a public relations major, a history minor and a women's studies certificate in college. And I was very fascinated by mid 20th century and early 20th century history, particularly in the U S and Germany. And 
yeah, we were talking about how there's a lot of very stark parallels and I'm not somebody who like invokes Nazis regularly, but there are actual literal Nazis marching in the U.S. right now. So it's real. It's happening and it's disturbing. <laughs> yes. And the reason that I wanted to jump in here, which may be kind of shocking to some people listening who didn't hear our whole conversation before, even before we do a proper introduction with you, is because you said where our conversation went was about authoritarianism, mm-hmm. which is what we're seeing now, is the direct opposite of what you and I are about and what your work is about, which is boundaries and consent and knowing what you want, and being able to ask for it and bodily autonomy and all of that. So can mm-hmm. I throw you in at the deep end and say, <laughs> sorry, but we just got to the state of the world and this authoritarianism that we're seeing and mm-hmm. how your work is the antidote for that, really. So can you shed some light on that? Yeah, ah! I mean, it's an antidote, right? Like it. So my work is really about consent culture. And by consent culture, I mean, broadly speaking, that you have a choice, that you can have time and space to feel into what's true for you, that we negotiate and come to agreements about how we want to interact. And this is like a really profound thing. I've done so much work with people over the years who have come from fundamentalist backgrounds, authoritarian families, churches, schools, and now that this is sort of creeping into the government writ large or more so it's really become urgent to me that people have a felt bodily experience of true choice in an interpersonal context i don't feel like i have the answers or the solution to waving broadly at the world at large mm-hmm. <laughs> but i do feel like that whatever is happening whatever is coming down the pike and it's pretty gnarly for people who are particularly trans, particularly racial minorities, queer people, disabled people, it's poor people. It's, it already is, and is going to continue to be quite gnarly, but that internal sense of, no, I know what it's like to have a choice and this isn't it is such an important thing. And it's not an intellectual thing. A lot of my work is really about having a felt somatic embodied feeling of choice, not just somebody telling you, you have a choice when your choices are crap. Mm -hmm. And so obviously that gets into abortion. That also gets into sexual assault. That also gets into a million things where boundaries are crossed and our consent is violated interpersonally and structurally. Mm -hmm. So it's a rich topic. And, you know, I don't uh, usually start podcasts by talking about the most intense things possible, but yeah, I could go there. I'm happy to talk about it. <laughs> Thank you. And I, and I appreciate that, you know, because often with my podcast, you know, we're talking about the sweet side of yeah. intimacy and pleasure and interpersonal relating and all of that. And we will get to that. We will I just, get to that. I'm so grateful to be able to have a conversation with you because your work, as you said, is an antidote to what's going on. And because, you know, I always say our sex life doesn't sit in a vacuum. It sits in the context of our life, right? In the context of our life, our culture, our society, all of those things are, you know, outer concentric circles or some other metaphor that works better. And I just feel like these conversations that we're having are existing in the context of our world that is, feels like it's tightening its grip on our rights. 
Well, and I think it's not a coincidence. And this is something that I noticed really early on. And it's part of why I got so interested in sex, not just as a personal experience or a thing I could support people in their personal experiences, but as a lens to look through the world. It's not a coincidence that every authoritarian regime targets racial, or sorry, they also target racial minorities, but they target sexual minorities. Mm -hmm. And there is a demand for sexual conformity that, and I deeply believe that's because sex is also where our creativity comes in. And if, if we feel expansive, if we feel creative, if we feel juiced up, we are less likely to tolerate bullshit. Right. And so it's not a coincidence that, you know, they go after what every authoritarian regime always goes after women and tries to convert women into baby making factories only and goes after sexual minorities because sexual minorities are the people who are thinking outside the box. And it's not that right. you have to be a woman or a sexual minority to be impacted by these things, because even if you're like a straight man with vanilla tastes, it's about forcing you to have a sexual worldview that conforms to the state's needs. And that sounds very dramatic if you haven't been thinking about this before, but it is part and parcel because if sex didn't matter, authoritarian regimes wouldn't go after it. And that's Amen. that was the thing that when I realized that in my 20s, I was like, oh crap, there's something really important about sex. And there's something really important about sexual freedom because sexual freedom is an indicator of overall freedom. Ooh. True overall freedom. Not flag pickup truck freedom. <laughs> but that internal freedom to be yeah. who you really are and express yourself from your true nature and desires and to yeah. explore from that place and not be squashed by right. someone else's rules or beliefs or shame or whatever it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. So much, so many pennies are dropping now. And something <laughs> I kind of knew, but I've got a new clarity on them. Yeah. So, okay. So let me now backtrack a little bit a little bit and, hot out the gate let's listen <laughs> i know but i wanted to capture that you know yeah. i just thought if we didn't capture it right then we were both so on it that it might dilute <laughs> and actually it feels so important to me and yeah. i don't have the ability or capacity or even necessarily language or understanding to to talk about all of that on my own i tried i tried to do podcasts about this stuff and it, it i think it has to be done in conversation you know, I could give my opinions, but I'm too heated and too upset <laughs> to do that well. So in a conversation, yeah. especially with someone so well-educated on it all, even from a his historical point of view, I wanted to capture that before we jumped in to the sweet stuff, because like I said, it's happening in our world, our sex life and how we be intimate and the boundaries and consent and how we create consent culture with each other. And all of that is happening in this world that we live in now. So mm -hmm. thank you. But let's backtrack. Let's backtrack. <laughs> we we got the we got the fiery stuff. Tell us about you and your work and your book and how did you get into it and kind of bring us up to date and we'll go from there. Yeah. So um, I like I said I studied public relations in school. I moved to New York after college and got a job and then got laid off right before nine eleven happened Ooh. and was sort of trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life because the job I had had was not the most satisfying thing. But I had been an editor on a website. One of the one of the sub-sites that I was editing was a sexuality site. And I really loved the conversations that happened in the forums there. And I was, and I had been doing HIV prevention work in college and 
eating disorder prevention stuff and just like, you know, volunteer college kind of stuff. And so I was like really intrigued by it. And after about a year or two after 9-11, I was like, you know, if I could get paid to do anything, not realizing at the first, I would not get paid very much. Right. (laughs) What would it be? And I, you know, when I really boiled down to, when I really drilled down to it, I was like, oh, I want to do sex education for some of the aforementioned reasons. And then, so I got into that and I, you know, took a training and, you know, got, did a lot of reading and got my certification and everything. And then as things kind of developed at the time I was working with Reed Mahalko and we co-founded Cuddle Party, which was not supposed to be a big thing. It was supposed to be just another little workshop that we did, you know, occasionally. And within six weeks of starting it, we were literally international news. They were like, New Yorkers are cuddling. What does it mean? (laughs) (laughs) And the cuddle party was, it was, it still is. We have about 200 facilitators around the world at this point. I'm no longer on the board. I've actually like let go of of that leadership after 17 years. But we hit what we realized we hit on. We didn't know this at first. We thought we were just like, oh, well, people who are intimidated by sex but want to learn the skills, maybe they can come cuddle. Like cuddling, clothes are on, it's less vulnerable, it's, you know, less to negotiate. What I didn't know is that we were creating a consent workshop Mm -hmm. (laughs) and a communication workshop and a boundary workshop. And that ended up becoming the thing that I became very passionate about. I was very, very interested in the ways that people do or don't know what they want, don't do and don't know how to ask for what they want, have a sense of entitlement to their own boundaries or don't have a sense of entitlement to their own boundaries. And I just, I've never lost my fascination with that. And, you know, we started, we came out of the gate hot and I do believe that it does have these political implications, but even if it didn't, the personal implications are so profound for people the experience, like I said, is the physical somatic experience of having a choice about what happens to your body when you're looking at somebody else who's asking to do something with you physically is mm. tremendous. It's just, it's so satisfying to see people have that dawning realization of like, oh, I get to say, I get to say like this, not like that. I get to say, yes, I get to say no. And I'm going to be heard because of the container. And there's, if if this person has a hard time hearing my no, there are other people here to support me. And that's just such a like mind blowing thing when you were raised in a family where your no maybe didn't get heard or you were encouraged to take care of other people's wants before you got your needs taken care of, which is really common with a lot of my clients. And yeah, my work has really just blossomed from there. Um, I I just got done teaching a four-week embodied boundary skills class. I'm going to be teaching a class called What You Really, Really Want in August (laughs) and a class on getting your needs met in the fall. So I'm really just focused on these kinds of skills and just teaching them and working with people in as many different ways as possible around them. That is Amazing. And those skills, uh, like you said, that somatic knowing of what you want and what your yes or no is, and that you are entitled to a yes or no. And that, you know, all of that, that somatic knowing is, it is like a sixth sense that Mm -hmm. is not awakened in us until it's awakened. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that really should be taught at school, if not before. 
I mean, it should be taught by at home and at school, but people, we don't teach parenting classes. We don't teach parents how to parent. And so parents end up just repeating whatever they learn through whatever trauma lens they have. And it's just, it's, we can break patterns, but it takes effort. It takes time. It takes valuing it. <laughs> and yeah. we do break, and we do break patterns. Like that's the thing that's also very satisfying about my work is seeing people who learn the lessons for themselves and then they start parenting their kids differently than they were parented. They're like, oh, this is what it means to have a consensual relationship with a person that I'm responsible for. This is what it means to give them a choice within boundaries that I'm still managing the boundaries, but they're learning how to have bodily autonomy that I never got as a child. And that's really exciting. I'm not a parenting expert. I don't teach parenting classes, but I do work with a lot of parents who then have, they hand their lessons to the children in their lives. They hand their lessons. And then a lot of my clients, you know, it's like there's this ripple effect because once you've had that experience, and this is also why I believe authoritarian regimes want to control sexuality and call people groomers and all this stuff. Once you have that experience, there's a ripple effect outwards of people. Oh, this is what true choice, interpersonal choice feels like. It feels so good. I want to make sure other people have that sense of choice. And then it kind of ripples out and it's, it's profound. It's profound. It is. And that is also where our power is. You know, I mean, there's power in sexual energy. There's power in having a connection to our bodies. And then there's power in, like you say, having that felt sense of knowing of what my yes and no is and what is right for me and not right for me from the body, not even from the the mind, you know? So we become powerful people, powerful individuals when we have access to that information or feeling or whatever it is, those spidey Mm -hmm. senses and authoritarian regimes don't want us to be powerful. No. Also, abusers don't want us to be powerful. Bullying bosses don't want us. There's a lot of people who narcissistic parents, like there's a lot of people (laughs) (laughs) who are not invested in us having And when I say, when you say powerful, I assume you mean something similar to this, but when I say powerful, I don't mean power over. I mean, power within and power with, like we can co-create, we can generate something together. I have a sense of my own agency and I have a sense of uh, my ability to affect change in the world, whether that's, you know, I want to see more flowers planted in my neighborhood, or I want to see more art or, you know, whatever it is, I have this internal sense of like how, when I feel like I have a choice about my body, then I can choose what to do with my body. I can choose what to do with my energy, with my time, with my attention. Yeah. That is what I mean. And I think of it as power with, like, how do we all create the society we want to live in? How do we, my partner and I, create a relationship we want to be in? How do we, my friends and I, create our relationship? I mean, and you reminded me that when I first started my personal introduction into neo-tantra and that kind of stuff, my daughter at the time was 10 years old, nine or 10 years old, and it changed my parenting for the better. You know, Mm. she is much smarter around personal relationships and intimacy and sexuality and all of that than I was at her age. Mm -hmm. And some of that is just her, you know, she's just awesome. And, but a lot of it, I think is because I was actively working on that stuff while she was young, she was picking it up, you know, Mm -hmm. it it changed how I mothered her because 
I learned about boundaries of consent and I could ask, you know, give her ways to make choices, even though I was still the mom, where she could learn how it feels to make a choice Mm -hmm. or to have a choice, to be given the choice, but still be held by a parent in making that choice, you know, and no, she's turned out much, much smarter than me. (laughs) Yeah. One of the misconceptions I think about consent culture when it comes to children is that if we give like that, that somehow giving children a choice means it's a free for all and it's not because you as a parent or even as equals, right? Both people get to ask for what they want. Both people get to say yes. Both people get to say no. Both people get to change their mind. Both people get to, and with parenting, there's a power imbalance and the parent is responsible for putting boundaries up to keep the kids safe. But within those boundaries, giving, and one of the things I always say is like, it's absolutely not about giving kids a choice on everything. If don't give a kid a choice, if there isn't a choice, like if they have to go to school, they have to go to school. They can choose what color shoes to wear. Right. (laughs) You know, they can choose which of these three options you want for lunch. You know, that's the boundaries part. And the boundaries part is important. I think another misconception, particularly among adults working and playing with one another is that, you know, I have a choice and I get to have boundaries and I get to say what I want and fuck your feelings, right? Right. There's kind of this like emotional callousness. And to me, that may be, that may be like, okay, personal responsibility. Yeah. But also we are primates. We are wired to work together. That is that and our thumbs and our big brains are like what got us ahead. Like I, a human in the wild by themselves is not going to last long. A human no. with a group of other humans can do amazing and also terrible, incredibly large, powerful things. So we are, a lot of the work that I do is about relearning the things that made us successful as humans in the first place, collaboration, cooperation, figuring out you know, innovative ways to move forward that like maybe nobody had thought of before. Um, and how to play together. I mean, I think as adults, we've really lost the ability to play. You know, we're very, again, state of the world is, is hard and it keeps us really focused on the grind and getting things done. And that's necessary to survive for a lot of us, but also like having opportunities to play and to not be so linear and not be so up in our heads, like actually as they say on the internet, going out and touching grass. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Go outside and touch some grass. I love that expression so much. <laughs> and you know, you're reminding me, you must know the work of Adrienne Marie Brown. Yes. She, her book, Pleasure Activism. Mm-hmm. That yeah. book was so revolutionary for me because it was like, part of me that wants justice was like, okay, I got to put down all my tools now and go figure out how to change the world now that you know everything is clamping down in a way that feels really uncomfortable to me and I read her book somewhere in the middle of the two years of lockdown and it was like wait 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 that's right I forgot (laughs) pleasure is the way through to that you know pleasure and intimacy and joy and and touching nature and all of those things are the way that we thrive in the world aren't Mm -hmm. they they're a way to in a way, they're rebellious at they are times. Rebellious. Yeah, you know. they can be. Yeah, certainly in a restrictive society, anything that's pleasure and joy oriented is. I mean, I am really struck that when things are clamping down, we do have to organize and we do have to like 
get in touch with other people and find out what networks are in play and get involved in a political way and in a structured way. But I do not think that means we need to suffer any more than we're already suffering. And I do not think that means we, and I absolutely do not think that means we set aside pleasure and joy. And in fact, we have, one of the goals of authoritarianism is to dehumanize us. Hmm. And one of the ways we resist being dehumanized is staying in touch with beauty and nature and sex and pleasure and fun and joy and finding whatever, like actively looking for the things that light us up, which is, and I say this, spending a lot of time on Twitter, is not scrolling on Twitter. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And doom doom scrolling is not the way forward, but maybe masturbating is, um, or maybe, you know, rolling around in the grass or, you know, getting naked in the sun or having a cuddle with a loved one or a friend or a dog (laughs) right? (laughs) or your kiddo, you know, like it's really crucial for remembering why we're fighting in the first place. And if, you know, I know that you are really passionate and and angry. I imagine a lot of the people listening are really passionate and angry or bewildered. Honestly, I think it's a very bewildering time. And if you don't know what to do, doom scrolling and trying to like suffer for the answer is certainly not the way forward. No. No, and you know, we were talking before we hit record about when Roe versus Wade was overturned, and I was I was demolished for mm-hmm. like a couple of weeks. I just couldn't, I just couldn't really even function the way that I normally function. And I had a a session with my mentor, and she said, "Look, at these times in the world, some people's role or soul contract, whatever it is, is to point at what's not working and say, look, this isn't working. It's horrible. Let's be up in arms.' And right. other people's jobs is to tear it down and march and rage. And other people's jobs is to look in the direction we want to be going and yeah. say, hey, let's go over there. Don't forget who we are at our core. Look what we can be. Don't forget who you are. And she said, that's you. She Mm. said, you know, and she said, if you, if I, me personally, if I keep looking at what's broken and and being torn down, I just will be utterly disempowered and unable to do what I'm here to do. Yeah. So I know it's happening and I, I can't miss it. You know, I try not to look too directly at it, but just enough that I'm, I know what's going on. And then I had to turn myself around and go, have these conversations and talk about the work that you and I do is part of the bigger answer. It is. It has to be. And one of my, the people that I pay a lot of attention to, Kelly Deals, says, you know, find, there's this big wall, right? And you can try to like jump all over the wall to try to figure out where to go through. And there are people whose job it is to like look for the weaknesses. But a lot of us, we just find our spot, we get our hammer and we start chiseling, right? And there are people chiseling on the environment. There are people chiseling on, you know, uh, poverty. There's people chiseling on disability rights. There's certainly people who are chiseling on voting rights. There's people chiseling on racial you know, equity. Pick your spot, chisel away. It never will be enough by itself, but together it I love does that. amount to something, right? And again, what does this have to do with sex? I mean, like everything. There's a huge, going back to what we were saying, like there's this huge empowerment that comes with being in touch with your body and being able to find pleasure and joy in the world, that juices us up for the chiseling. <laughs> right. Yeah. That I needed to hear that. So thank you. You're lot. welcome. That's, yeah. That's, I'm going to need to reflect on that later. Um, 
Okay. So now I want to ask you, because I could have this conversation with you forever, but I, I want to ask you about your book because your book just came out, what, a month or two ago? I came out in January and oh, okay. uh, I did just go on a book. I just got back from a big book tour. So we didn't go on tour the second it came out, but yeah. <laughs> okay. And it's called Creating Consent Culture? Creating Consent Culture, a handbook for educators where educators is broadly defined. The publisher has targeted it towards, you know, people in the school system, okay. educators and support staff of young people. My background though is working with educators of adults. And so it's really anybody age 10 or up. And it is a work. The book is based on a workshop that my co-author developed based on my work. And she approached me in 2019 and was like, hey, do you want to write a book? And I was like, yes, let's do it. You're just going to have to wrangle my schedule. And uh, in 2020, my schedule freed up considerably. <laughs> oh, that's a weird blessing. <laughs> so that's what we did in 2020 and uh, early 2021 and then um, came out this year. And the structure of it is series of exercises that are things that I developed and that Erica developed, my co-author developed, Erica Scott developed based on my work. And each chapter is about the concepts behind the exercises and each set of concepts is a core concept of consent culture. So we have asking for what you want. We have about saying no, why saying no is so hard. We talk about what maybes really are about. Um, we talk about um, how to make an apology. Mm -hmm. uh, we talk about, oh gosh, there's so many things. There's so yeah. many things. I got the book, but um, yeah, changing your mind. And it's so fun because you can do these exercises, you know, you can pick and choose. Like if you, if you are doing a team building thing at work, if you are doing a training at a, at a sex conference, if you're doing a, you know, if you're a lot of festival people have really taken to this work and they're, they love it because they're games. All the whole hmm. book is just a series of games that are designed to be fun. They're designed to be embodied and they're designed to be interpersonal. And so, Love it. and low stakes. So you're practicing where the stakes are lower. You're noticing like, oh, one of my favorite exercises of the book is, the, is this exercise about incongruous yeses and no, no's. So you are asking for things you're pretty sure that they want to say yes to, but they have to say no. Mm. Can I give you $50? Can I no. clean your house for you? Will you go on vacation to Bermuda with me? Things like that. Oh my God. You know, and you get to see what it feels like to have that, to say one thing and mean another. And then we switch it and you ask for things that you're pretty sure that they're a no to, but they have to say yes. So it's like, will you give me $50? Will you clean my house? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and then they have to say yes when they mean no. And then that becomes for a lot of people, it's like, oh, that's a really familiar experience. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is what it feels like. And then you do a third round where you get to ask real questions and give real answers. You're still not going to do it, but, and you get that contrast. You get to feel the contrast between, oh, this is what it is like when I say yes, and I don't mean it versus this was like when I say yes, and I do mean it. Mm. That is genius. Like, <laughs> I used to teach workshops. I haven't for many years, like maybe a decade, but at any workshop, whatever it was about, whether it was a basic beginner, something or other, or, you know, advanced, whatever, I always started with some sort of, you know, boundaries and consent stuff. Yeah. And 
my favorite thing at that time was to do getting people to feel yet like moving around the room kind of in neutral and then putting on music that would feel like a yes and getting them to move their body like a yes. And people would be open with their body and big stretched out arms and legs and looking at each other and smiling with yes. And then you move back to neutral and then back and then go to no. And often people will scrunch up. Yeah. Contract with a no, you know, and so you get them to try and say a no, but be open and all of that, you know. So it was giving them the somatic feeling of no. But what I love your work takes that even further, which is reminding them that they've said no when they mean yes and that they've said yes when they mean no. And your body knows that. Your body knows it. But when you bring your awareness to it, you go, oh, that's what that feeling is. Yeah. And the next time it happens, your body's going to remind you, "Mm -mm -mm -mm." you know, that's no, 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 no. Wait, what's coming out of your mouth? That's fucking genius. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm going to get your book. I meant to get it before we did this and I didn't (laughs) have time, but I will get it because, you know, this is foundational stuff. Like I said, any workshop I used to run, we started with this because if you don't have boundaries and consent in place, really in any area of your life, that's a rocky road. You railroad people, people railroad you. It's rough. It's rough. Yeah. And that ticks away at your feeling of confidence and Mm self-worth and, you know, being able to say, I would, I need a drink of water or, you know, whatever something simple is much less once you get it into the bedroom, because that sense of the erotic has a little bit more weight to it. So asking for what you want in the bedroom is a whole other thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really been amazing because, you know, I started as a sex educator and I overall believe that we have to practice these skills outside the bedroom before we'll be any good at them in bed. And it's one of the things I really dislike about the way a lot of consent is taught is that it's taught at the level of sex in order. I don't dislike that. It's trying to be, you know, prevent sexual assault. I love that Mm -hmm. part, but I don't think they do a very good job of it because we start with one of the most high stakes. We're trying to learn these skills in a high stakes situation That's one thing I dislike about it. The other thing I dislike about it, and this is something that a lot of consent educators have not unpacked for themselves yet, is that the model of consent that we are handed is what I call the gatekeeper model. As in, one person wants the sex, usually a man. One person has the sex, usually a woman. His job is to get the sex from her, and her job is to say yes or no. And that's it. And there's a lot of problems with this. First of all, not everybody's straight. (laughs) Sometimes you have more than two people. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But beyond that, he's not allowed to have boundaries. She's not allowed to have desires. No one's learning the full range of skills. And people will say, well, did you get consent? And I hate that question because what it is, is did you get permission? And permission Mm. isn't sexy. So when people talk about, well, consent's not sexy. I'm like, no, no, no. Permission's not sexy. But if we change from this gatekeeper model, which I dislike deeply. And I think it's very, very sexist and it does men and women and people of other genders, a massive disservice. And we shift to what I call an agreement model of consent or a collaborative model of consent. Then it's not, did you get consent? It's what agreements did you make? Yeah. I guess we didn't make any. Oh, we were making a bunch of assumptions and running off of a bunch of unconscious like beliefs and scripts that I didn't, I don't even like. (laughs) 
Right. And the so assumption it, that sex is linear and that it has to include this and that, you know, and, and have that, a certain ending. This person's going to stick this thing in this place and that's what right. sex is. And, you know, and it is a bit more work to go, let's make an agreement about how we want to play. And that doesn't mean you have to say everything up front. Your agreements mm. can be like, safe words and oh let's like let's check in before we go past this point but let's keep things you know whatever there's a lot of different ways you can make an agreement about how you want to play let's be sober let's not be sober whatever you can agree to all kinds of things so that's another thing and then the third thing that I really have that I don't talk about in the book but I do need to write an essay about this is that consent doesn't save us from our own bad decisions right (laughs) like there is There's kind of this desire for consent to protect us from bad feelings. And consent does a lot of great things. Getting clear about how you want to share space or or play with somebody is really important. But that doesn't mean I can agree to all kinds of things. I did, in fact, spend my 20s agreeing to all kinds of things that turned out to be not a good idea. But that's also how we learn. Right. Like, oh, yeah, I... I did that. I didn't like it. I don't want to do it again. It was a bad experience, but at least the additional bad experience wasn't that it was a fucking surprise. Right. Right. That you didn't know it was coming. What I was getting myself into sort of. Yeah. So that's such an important point. Consent doesn't mean that it's going to be the perfect experience. No. And I guess as you drop deeper into the work, you could consent to experimenting with a thing or consent to trying a thing yes. instead of, you know, it has to turn out wonderful or we failed or it feels bad or whatever. So, yeah, that's really a really important point. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I could talk about this stuff forever and I will happily continue talking to you about it, but it was really fun to write the book and I was really blessed to be able to go on a book tour not unfortunately not with my co-author because she's in Canada and COVID is still raging and that was complicated, but with my friend Betty Martin, who is the creator of the Wheel of Consent, and she and I have been dear friends for many years. And her book came out in 2021. Mm-hmm. And she didn't get to go on a book tour. So we got my camper van and started in San Diego and camped our way up the coast all the way to Washington in May and June. So I just got back and uh It was really fun to be in the room with people. We did four workshops and I think, I don't know, we did 15 events total in in three and a half weeks and and nobody got COVID. Masks (laughs) work. Uh, (laughs) But it was really great to be in the room with people and to kind of hear where the consent conversation has evolved to Mm. over the last couple of years with everything going on. And, you know, there's a lot of new work coming out. I had several people talk to me about the developing field of psychedelic therapy and the need for like, how do you do consent when you're dealing with psychedelics? I had people talking to me about it, you know, consent in the dance communities. People were talking about it in their kink communities. Obviously that's where a lot of the stuff originated. People were very interested. There's a big conversation in the Tantra world right now about consent with some organizations that have not been great about it in the past, which will go unnamed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I'm also seeing it move outside of these sub-communities, these sort of niche communities. And California has a law now that says that consent education has to be part of the curriculum. Wow, Australia school curriculum. It, yeah, Australia has it as a nationwide thing. There's a few other states that have it as well. And so one of the things I'm really invested in is 
shifting, you know, the consent conversation away from this gatekeeper model towards a collaborative model and really giving people, again, those skills of boundaries and asking and changing your mind and being able to hear a no as much as being able to say a no. Yes. Uh, That's all equally important. And being able to like, we do spend time like talking about body language and those, okay, they're saying yes, but their body language is saying no. They're saying no, but their body language is saying yes. Their body language is saying yes, but their bodies, their words are saying no. That doesn't mean go ahead, but it might mean like pause and inquire and slow down. And slowing down is also a big theme. <laughs> Actually, you said that at the somewhere at the beginning of our conversation about some of the things that, you know, in the cuddle parties, I think is where you referred to it, but you were saying where people have an, an opportunity to pause and take space before either asking for what they want or saying a yes or no to a request. And that pause is also, I think, a whole whole other area that we could explore for ages because we live in the, this world that moves so fast yeah. that you know we're expected to know what we want immediately based probably on some fictitious, something we've been taught we're supposed to want. And then mm-hmm. someone's supposed to know immediately if they have a yes or no to that. But when you slow that down and give both in this case, because I've started with two people, (laughs) you know, two people, you know, trying to figure out what's our agreements going to be. If I could slow down, if somebody says what, if they ask me right now, what do I want? I need a minute Mm -hmm. to come out of the talking and get still and listen to my body and think, you know, do I, do I want to ask for a cup of tea or back rub or a blow job or, you know, like what, what of those things is really the thing that's going to hit the spot right now. And if I was being asked for those things equally, I would need to pause for a minute and come into the present moment and think, what is it that I have to offer 100% from me? But that pause is fucking crucial, isn't it? It is. Even if you're already in an erotic situation, it's still like, oh, okay, we're getting sexy here. What do I actually want? Where do I want this to go? Yeah. There's a couple of shortcuts I generally recommend with my clients who are working on boundaries. And one of them is from Cuddle Party, which is if you're maybe say no. Love it. Buys you time. You, you can always change your mind later. The other thing that I tell my client, and I was literally just working last night with a group with a group of about 40 people on this, is if you don't, if you can feel that you have a boundary, but you have no idea what that boundary actually is, ask for time. Mm-hmm. Because you might not be a no, or you might be a no, you might need more information, you might need to like set some conditions or limits or boundaries or whatever around this far, but not further or like this, but not like that, but you need time to figure out what those are. Sometimes you're just a no and you haven't arrived there yet, or you haven't done the emotional work to be able to say it yet. So if you're maybe say no, or ask for more time, I like <laughs> give me that. a second, give me a minute, give me an hour. Let me get back to you. I'll be back to you in two weeks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that reminds me of something that I had someone, a few people actually ask me not so long ago where I was saying, I can't remember what I was saying, but what they asked was, they were saying that they weren't cuddling or being affectionate with their partners as much because when they did, their partner assumed that they were asking for penetrative sex or that that's where they wanted it to go. And I was saying, well, you can actually communicate, use your words words. (laughs) and say, you know, I see that you're wanting some affection and actually that would be awesome, but I want to check in with you. Are you assuming that that's going to go somewhere? If I say yes to that, I'm just saying yes to that. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and there's, 
that's a whole nother set of skills, isn't it? Being able to have that nuanced conversation and be vulnerable in that either mm-hmm. side of, well, actually, yeah, I was cuddling you with intent to, you know, pursue something else or the person on the receiving end saying, look, I want to say yes to this cuddle, but I need to let you know that I don't want it to go somewhere else or I do want it to go, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Or but I want it to go to somewhere else, but not here. I want it to go over here. Yeah. Right. Because sex isn't linear. Right. That's the other thing is I would love to cuddle. And if you want to go down on me, that would be great. But I don't want to have penetrative sex. I would love to cuddle and I would love to go down on you, but I don't want to have penetrative sex. I would love to have penetrative sex, but no oral, like whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Saying the yes and saying the no is great. And don't put a but also is a little tip that I'm like, don't say but, say and. I like (laughs) Like, that. I want this and I don't want that. I want this. I don't want this and I want this. Yeah, that's really good. I like that. That my sister often says something about it's not a either or situation, it's a both and. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I like that. This has been awesome. And I could talk to you forever because I feel like every single like lane of conversation has 50,000 <laughs> lanes each that we could open I'll just up. I'd love to come back. <laughs> Please. Yes. Yes. And then we can kind of niche down into each of these areas. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Is there anything that I didn't ask or that we somewhere we didn't go that we should have gone or? Oh, we covered so much territory, including things I did not know we were going to talk about. I know. Yeah. I, you'll, you'll put my website and everything in the show notes. I'm on social media at Ask Commercial B. Like you can come follow me. Get join my web. Oh, I do have, actually, I do have a thing. Uh, I have a free consent guide. So in addition to my book, I have a, a how to make consent sexy field guide to consent on my website, askingforwhatyouwant.com slash consent. So that's a thing that is fun and you might really enjoy it. (laughs) I'll put that in the show notes as well. I'll put, we'll link to everywhere that you are and the free thing and the book and everything else. Wonderful. Show notes. Yeah. Thank you so, so much. Honestly, this is one of the best conversations I've ever had. We managed (laughs) to bring, well, we managed to bring in the context of the world without being dragged down by it and actually offering some, you know, bright sparks of hope for yeah. a direction we might go in. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Sexual Alchemy Podcast with Rebecca Lowry. If this podcast has aroused your curiosity and you'd like to take things further, you can get a copy of my free video training, Reclaiming Your Intuitive, Confident, Sensual Self. The link is in the show notes below wherever you are listening.